I'm going to tell one this morning. I became aware of an individual who decided to take his family to Israel, including his mother-in-law. And during the trip, during the tour, the mother-in-law passed away. And he went to the American consulate and found out to ship the body back to America would cost $5,000. However, if he chose to bury his mother-in-law in Israel, it would only cost $150. He thought about it just for a moment. He says, I'll ship her back. And the guy at the American consulate said, well, you really must love her. And he says, no, I heard about this guy who died and was raised from the dead after three days. I'm not taking a chance. <laughs> Let's talk to the Lord. Father, I just want to thank you for this day. And you are a most excellent God. You are worthy, and you are worthy of all praise. Lord, I thank you for the reality of who you are. And God, today I pray there would be a deeper reality of who you are for each of us in the ordinary things of life. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. Thank you, Lord God, that you are guiding us. Thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to us. Lord, we worship you. And Lord, this is all about you. And I, I pray today that you would be honored and glorified in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. In Jesus' name. You know, after the last national election, I, I had a question enter my mind. And the question was where is my allegiance? I really love this country. I, I don't think there's ever been a country like the United States in history. And um, we're all concerned about where it's at right now, certainly concerned about it for ourselves and our families. But I had to think about that a little bit because I had to think in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions, where really is my allegiance and my commitment? Is it to the kingdom of God in the king of kings, or am I more committed or have an allegiance to something else? Now, I know where I want to be, but by my thoughts, by my words, and by my actions, where really is my commitment? <clears throat> and I looked up the word commit in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it says to put into a place for safekeeping. It may express the general idea of delivering into another's charge or the special sense of transferring to a superior power. Commit is to put place into safekeeping or to transfer to a superior power. And what came to my mind was John 14. And there were some things that came to my mind as I was reading that particular passage. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And what came to my mind is I have some problems. I have some weaknesses. Does that surprise you? Just kidding. One of them is, is that my heart is troubled. In Luke 21, 26, it says, Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Hebrews 12, 27, 28 says, And this expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, in order that things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Are our hearts troubled? I want you to be honest with yourself today. It isn't what you hope that you are. The reality is, what are we really? How are we handling the signs of the times? How do we handle our hearts in conflicts and disagreements, the ordinary daily things that we all encounter. How often do we worry? How many sleepless nights do I have? When God introduces something new into your life that goes against your thinking, how do you handle it? Do you become angry? Do you become disturbed and irritated and offended? If God says, let not your heart be troubled, you can do it. God does not give a command with us, without us having the power to obey it. Let not your heart be troubled. I have a number of grandchildren, and two of the boys, one is two, and he giggles himself to sleep at night. The other grandson, age three, sings himself to sleep at night. And I was thinking, you know, Jesus said, unless you convert to become like children, you not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
It's like you can't really get the peace and the grace and the power of God unless you are as a child. But I thought, you know what? If you're having problems getting to sleep at night, either giggle yourself to sleep at night or sing yourself. Perhaps if you sing yourself to sleep at night, you'll see how awful you are and you'll giggle yourself to sleep at night. <laughs> if I believe in Jesus and his attributes, am I living up to my belief? In verse 1, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. One of my problems is believing in Jesus. If I would ask people, do you believe in God? I would think most of them would say yes, because God is a pretty generic description of a higher power. Do you believe in Jesus? I think the honest, gut-wrenching truth is that a lot, in a lot of circumstances in life, we doubt Jesus and his attributes. We question his character. We question, does he really love me? Is he really faithful? Will he take care of my needs? Will he give me the wisdom that I need? You know, worry is an example of not believing in Jesus. When he says, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added on, is that too simple for us? Or do we have to kind of work at what we're trying to get at? Oswald Chambers says, there could be a person who says, Oh, I have no misgivings about Jesus. The only misgivings I have of, are of myself. I think that is incorrect. I think we know exactly what we're capable of doing or incapable of doing in any particular circumstance. And any test, any trial, any disagreement, any conflict any painful situation that we're in, we have misgivings of Jesus. Is he really going to come through for us? Is he really with us? Does he really have a plan for my life? We don't have to make this a big thing. It's just the ordinary conflicts that we have between a husband and wife, in our finances, in our families, in the church, on the job. We don't need to take this concept beyond the ordinary things of life. Our eyes are typically on ourselves, our circumstances, or our finite minds. Quite frankly, I think we think way too highly of ourselves. God is an infinite, unlimited, all-powerful God. But do we think of him in those terms when we're going through the very simple conflicts in life? Is he almighty? Does he really love me? Is he all-powerful? Is he always with me? You know, when uh, Peter 
saw Jesus, when Peter and the other disciples were in the boat, and he saw Jesus come, he said, Jesus, if that's you, command me to come. And Jesus said, come. So Peter gets out of the boat, and he's walking on water. I don't know how long he was walking on water, but then it says the winds came. And isn't that true? When the winds and the turmoil and the circumstances of life come, we take our eyes off of Jesus, and like Peter, we begin to sink. Let me ask you this. Do you really believe Jesus when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? We may find ourselves opposing him sometimes because of our attitudes. We're all guilty of it. Because we think the church should go a certain way. We're all guilty of it. But do you really believe that Jesus Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? I think so often in the church we do not believe that. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If, I, if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you really believe that Jesus has a place for you and me? Do you believe he's really coming back? If you do, we need to get excited about that. What this says to me is, I don't always have an eternal perspective. When I get up in the morning, I might be thinking about what I'm supposed to do that day. Whether I'm home or at my job or after work, what am I really thinking about? Do I have an eternal perspective? Psalms 90.12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. Now, I know that when I was young, 20s, 30s, even though I had friends that died, I still had this perspective that life goes on, goes on. I'm talking about this life. Goes on and goes on and goes on. And now, I don't think this is always the case for people my age, but I'm starting to try and number my days. I'm trying to say, Lord, what should I be doing today? Do I have your mind today? Do I have an eternal perspective today? Time is short. I don't care how long a person lives. Time is short. Am I looking for Jesus each day? My granddaughter's in fourth grade, and she's very intelligent. She's way ahead of her grade level. And when Grandma was there just a couple of weeks ago, she came in very somber, went right to her room, and later on we found out that one of her good friends had called her a geek. And, of course, her mom went down and talked to her and got it all set, and, you know, then ice cream is on the table. It's just fine. <laughs> but this tells me something, that young people with us that age or teenagers have an immediate perspective. They have a narrow focus. 
And so often, they choose a long-term solution for a short-term problem. Our society is an immediate society. And I think that's probably why we have a high suicide rate, because we don't look at things from an eternal perspective. But I think even as adults, we do not practice looking at each day with an eternal perspective. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm going to stop right there. I know that he is the path to eternal life. But I believe that particular verse has a more practical uh, meaning to my life. How does it apply to me today? I am guilty of doing my way too often, and it gets me in trouble. Jesus says that my ways are not your ways, but he wants us to know his ways and to walk in his ways. If there's confusion, I know that he is the truth, but so often I try to work out a problem with my own abilities instead of looking to him and getting clarity. Listen, who can make, some of you are struggling with some difficulties and crisis right now. Who can do a better job today for you, you or God? He has given us his life. He's given, him, he's given himself to us that we can walk in his life, in his spirit. When Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us, Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me? Don't put Philip in there. Put your name in there. Jesus is asking that same question to you and me. What trial, what challenge or difficulty are you going through right now where Jesus is asking have I been so long with you and you have not come to know me in this area of your life? I think one, there are a number of ways to get to know Jesus. One of them is obedience. The first year that I was a Christian was the first year that I was a school psychologist with another number of other consultants. And in the middle of the year, a new director came in. And he was not assimilating very well with the rest of the eagles that were there. Not that you fly. I'm talking about eagle, eagles. And it's like the Lord was saying to me, Steve, I want you to go out of your way and show kindness to that person. Show encouragement to that person. And my flesh said, I don't want to. But I did. And this made it an everlasting impression on me because... Once I did that, I felt an incredible sense of God's love and appreciation for me because of my act of obedience. The scripture says in John 14, 21, 
He who has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by the Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose, I will manifest, I will show myself to him. When we obey God, here's the rule. If you obey God, he's saying, I will show you who I am more and more and more. Through obedience, we get to know him more and more and more. Now, God can and does reveal himself in gentle, loving ways. When I am having difficulty and someone just comes up and gives me a hug, it makes a difference. When there's a timely word for me, it makes a difference. It gives me an idea that, you know, God really is real, and he uses people to show that he is real. You know, he reveals himself through his creation. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly, have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made, so that they are without excuse. My wife loves to go up north into the, into the pine forest by the lake early in the morning when it's quiet and all you hear is the rustling sounds of squirrels or whatever in the woods. She says, you know, when I'm up there, I feel so close to God. I understand that. Because God does speak to people through his creation. And when you think about what he has created, it's just amazing. Over 250 million galaxies. This one blows me away. There are 200 to 300 muscles in a caterpillar's head. When you, when you think of the fact that you and I came from conception to what we are now, as complex as we are, it's amazing. It's just simply amazing. And, and if people just take a thoughtful look at what has been created, you cannot miss God. But I believe that God orchestrates our circumstances and in the circumstances of life, the difficulties of life, he reveals more and more and more who he really is. Every difficulty that you and I go through is an opportunity to know Jesus. And as believers, we need to get this down. God orchestrates your circumstances. He orchestrates my circumstances. In Ecclesiastic chapter 9, just as an example, he says, I've examined all of this, and he says, the righteous man, the wise man, and his deeds are in the hand of God. Anything awaits him. Could be hate, could be love. But God is in control. And he orchestrates our circumstances for our good. In 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, 
keep on rejoicing, so that the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Some of the greatest revelations that I've had of Jesus and his word has been when I've been humiliated in emotional pain and going through trials, starting with when I was born again. Through a crisis in my life, I asked Jesus, are you real? If you are, come into my life. And he revealed who he is to me during that crisis, during that difficulty in my life. The Apostle Paul stated in Philippians 3, 10, 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Sufferings. Being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. I believe to really know Jesus, his life and power, we have to share in his sufferings. And what I mean by that is this. You have Christ in you. When somebody criticizes you and it's not constructive, you have a choice. You can take the hit or you can let Jesus take the hit. But when you take the hit, you share in the sufferings of Christ. When something unjust happens in your life, you can choose to take the hit or let Christ take the hit. When Christ takes the hit is when we have the wrong response. Actually, we respond with offense or sin. But if we take it with a godly attitude, believing that he orchestrates the circumstances of our life, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. In uh, 1 Peter 2.23, it says that while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Isn't he our example? Are we to entrust our lives for safekeeping to a superior power? Proverbs 29, 26 says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. The fact of the matter is that you live in a world where there's a lot of injustice and you will be victims of it, but make sure it doesn't come through you and me. But if we really want justice, Look to God, because he's the one that ultimately gives justice for man. And I believe that Paul had so many great revelations because of what he suffered. Other than Christ, I don't know if there's anybody biblically that suffered as much as Paul. He was shipwrecked a number of different times. He was whipped a number of different times. He was stoned almost to the point of death. He was imprisoned, and who knows what other persecution he suffered. He had to depend on the way, the truth, and the life if he was ever going to make it. Some people don't rely on the way and the truth and the life in those circumstances. And they miss out on revelations. They miss out on knowing God more. Now, I want to learn about God's love, and I know that comes through hugs, handshakes, timely words, service to others, 
But I take note of what Jesus did. It says that God demonstrates his love towards us when we are yet sinners and actually his enemies. To know God's love, he orchestrates conflicts and allows wounds and hurts in our life. If you and I really want to learn to love like Jesus, you've got to have enemies. The word says that we need to love our enemies. And quite frankly, the enemies that you and I have probably really aren't enemies. They're just people that disagree with us, maybe have said some spiteful things about us. But if you really want to know God's love, expect opposition in your life. If you really want to know forgiveness, expect wounds in your life. When you are wounded, you can think about how we wounded Jesus and what he went through. And and he still forgives us. When I'm wounded, I have to think about that, and it's a motivation for me to forgive those who have wounded me. We've been praying about unity. I do not believe that unity is going to come about simply because we agree with one another, hug one another, smile at one another. True unity comes when we can love one another in those circumstances of conflict and disagreement. Because that's the type of love that the world is looking for. How are we any different from those who don't know God if we greet just those people who are friendly with us, agree with us, and so forth? The the, the scripture speaks to that because it says that he makes the sun shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes it rain on the good and the evil. And we are to be like our Father. Unity comes when we can demonstrate the love of God in conflicts and disagreements and just the ordinary things of life. Because that is a testimony of him, not us. Jerry and I were down in Little Rock a couple weeks ago. I think Little Rock is probably one of the best kept secrets in America. Beautiful city. And our son Saul and his wife live down there. And um, it actually has a very high crime rate per capita. And you don't leave your garage door open even when you're home. Uh, my son lives in a pretty good neighborhood. Those houses were built in the 90s. It's, it's good. But, you know, you still don't leave your garage door open. They were home. And he didn't leave his open for, oh, was, he said it was less than an hour. And him and his wife were home. The car was in the garage. He got two dogs. And he came out in his lawnmower and his weed eater was gone. And so we were talking about that. And uh, I said, well, you know, I said, we've got to pray about that. He says, Dad, one of the first thoughts I had was, I'm going to forgive them because I know that God's a just God. I thought, he's a better man than I am. That was not what I thought. <laughs> but obviously, my son has an understanding of God's forgiveness. We ought to be quick to forgive, too. Are we going to make a difference in the world? Then we need to manifest God's love and be quick to forgive. Now, sometimes people go through crisis, and it's a long period of time. It could be years. 
Sometimes it's because of poor choices. And we all know that Jesus is a teacher. You don't get the exam right the first time, guess what? The teacher is going to come with another exam. He doesn't care how long it takes. He wants us to become like him. He wants us to get his attributes. But simply because you're in a long period of crisis does not necessarily mean that you or I are making wrong choices. And here's what I, I think indicates that Christ is just trying to do something wonderful in our life. If you are having revelations of his word and him in the crisis, and God is also using you in your pain and turmoil to minister to other people, I think God has you there because he's pleased with your responses. And he wants to do more in you. I remember a number of years back when uh, Jerry went through her brain surgeries, uh, moving the brain tumor and clipping the aneurysm behind the eye and so forth. Her brother made this comment. He said, I'm really, really, I've been really impacted by your faith in God. See, I believe in miracles, and I believe a day is coming that we're going to see miracles that we've never imagined. But I don't think people can really relate to miracles. I think people can relate to suffering. And when Don Sufflow is going through what he's going through, and Cindy, with joy, with grace, with peace, an unmistakable faith in God. It speaks volumes to those who are watching him. People can relate to suffering. And when we go through it the right way, it has an impact for the kingdom of God. Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me? in this circumstance of your life. When we pray to know God more, He can reveal Himself in the beauty of His creation through loving ways as we see them. But you know, when you ask God if you can know Him more, expect some conflicts in your life. Because if we want to really know his love, it's going to be in the trying circumstances of life that we have an opportunity to learn it or not learn it. Do we really believe his word? Do we really believe his word? The Message Bible in verse 10 says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you aren't mere words. I don't, I don't just make them up on my own. The Father who resides in me crafts each word into a divine act. Now you can say, yeah, I believe in his word and so forth, but you know that the rubber hits the road when you're in a difficulty, in the crisis, in a disagreement, in an interpersonal conflict. Do we treat his words as being real? 
or do we trivialize his word? Are they just mere words to us? I know I've been in circumstances where, yeah, I can tell you that I believe in his words, but my behavior hasn't indicated that. Do I really believe in his word? Do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is in our circumstances and difficulties in life? Do we trust his words as truth? I don't care what you're going through. If you're a believer and you're right with God and you're right with other people, guess what? He's going to work out your circumstances for good if you trust in him. It's like I said before, today, do you think that you can do a better job of ruling your life or do you think God Almighty, a superior force, can do a better job? Every time we're obedient to his work, I believe it is a divine act. And we won't know the impact of that until we get to eternity. But in every conflict that you find yourself in, we have a choice of obeying his word, believing his word or not. If we do, there's a, it's a divine act. Something happens. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the words that I do, he shall do also. That one's kind of stumped me sometimes. In John, when, in 6, the people asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? And he said this, this is the work of God. Believe in him whom he has sent. Believe in Jesus. Believe in his word. Believe that he's real. Believe that he's faithful. Believe that he knows your circumstance and he's with you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. I always, always thought about oh, it's supernatural, miracles, healings. And I think that is probably part of it, but I think there's more of a practical thing he's talking about. Because in, in, in John 13, he says that you know, as far as us being his disciples, he didn't say that people will know us by the miracles that we do the supernatural stuff we do. He said, you will be known as my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That's the power. That's what he's talking about. When we are doing his word, he will do his works through us. And I believe if we get good at this, he'll confirm it by signs and wonders. When we believe in him and trust in him and see and know him in the difficulties of life, in our relationships and conflicts, he will manifest who he is to the lost, to us. He will manifest his works to a lost generation. It's been said that God loves all people, but he doesn't trust all people. I believe that he is beginning to trust this body of believers. He's going to bring young people and young families into this body. We have a responsibility in our interpersonal interactions to do the Word of God, to believe in Him. Quite frankly, when I've been offended, it's because I didn't get my way. 
Most people get offended because they didn't get their way. And sometimes we perceive it as injustice. That's our perception. Sometimes we can be wrong. That's why we need to do the Word of God. God is into this. Our relationship with Him, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our relationships with one another, to love others as ourselves. Jesus said it over. You read 1 John. That's the commandment, to love one another. To do it when you don't feel like doing it. Jesus is into relationship with him, relationship with one another, attitudes and behavior. He orchestrates our circumstances, but we have freedom in our attitudes and our behavior. Treat others as being more important than ourselves. Honoring one another. Husbands cherishing their wives. Wives respecting their husbands. It goes on and on and on and on. God wants us to believe in him in the circumstances of life. He wants us to be people of peace. He wants us to know him more in the difficulties of our life. And he wants us to believe his word. And he will do mighty works because he sees a people he can trust. Let's talk to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you that you are here. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you are God Almighty, that you are an all-loving God. Lord, that you gave your son Jesus because you loved us so much. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we'd have that same commitment to you in our deeds, in our thoughts, doing your word, believing you, showing God, we trust in you. You gave your all for us. Help us to give our all for you. Thank you, Jesus, that we can be alive at this time. And Lord, I pray for each person here that the purpose for which you created them, I pray for the purpose of this body would be accomplished to your glory. Because, Lord God, it is all about you. Forgive us when we fail, but Lord, give us the grace to step up and be the people that you've called us to be, an excellent people serving an excellent God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen.